friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Hempland USA. God, I love that stuff. And Sports Research. Doing its best to keep me as slim as possible. Yes, I did just eat a steak for lunch. That's my journey, and it is not meant for you to judge, okay? Um, and I put butter on the steak and onions. It was quite delicious. I'm eating well in quarantine, you know? I have not... I have slowed down my elaborate cooking. Uh, well, I guess it is a pretty elaborate lunch, but fairly standard for me. Like, I'm not doing, like... Well, I guess when I go to the desert, finally, like, um, we've been quarantined. I've been quarantining away from my mom, who was kind of accidentally quarantined with my sister and her two kids because they flew to the desert right when this all happened. And then we're stuck there. So then eventually my sister and her kids got to leave because they kept canceling flights. So they just left about a week ago. But then my mom had to self-quarantine because uh, to go home before she can go home to my dad, which is kind of like it makes sense. But then she's getting on a flight. But they're just doing all the things to minimize risk um, because, you know, my dad has cancer, but he's fine. Don't worry. And just, you know, both my parents are over 60. And uh, sorry for outing you, parents. You look honest. Not a day over 40. All right. Um, but yeah, so finally she's going to be leaving. And so Greg and I are going to go there. And I think I'll probably continue with some elaborate meals. I think I'll have a new space, the freedom to roam about the kitchen, you know, explore my space, if you will. So I'll probably be back to making like homemade dumplings and stuff. But anyway, um, how are you guys doing? How's your what's your quarantine eating cooking style? Um I'm sure, well, unless you haven't lost your job, uh, I'm sure we're all kind of struggling to put things together because it's hard to get groceries and try not to spend money. I mean, that is why I've been cooking so much at home because I'm really trying not to order takeout as much as I would love to support local businesses. And when I have the money, I am doing it. But it is just smarter at this time for me to cook at home. Um, But yeah, actually, one of my listeners sent me, I'm sorry, Haley, uh, I haven't responded to the recipe exchange because... You caught me at a time when I was not like gung ho about cooking. Maybe I'll join in later. But yeah, I, what do you DM me? With, what's up with your cooking? Send me a new recipe. Send me something new that maybe has less than a stick of butter in it because that is normally how I roll. And as always, I want to thank you guys so much, so much for listening to my podcast and supporting me and all your kind DMs and just, you know, just I love interacting with you guys. And I just I really am. um proud and thankful for the community of listeners I have I just there's not no better feeling in the world than to hear that you're enjoying the content and uh, I just want to thank you and uh, if you do have a free moment I would be so appreciative if you could leave a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts Um, perhaps podcasters need it more now than ever just like we all need hey DM me if you need help with something I'm so down if you need me to leave a review for anything you're doing down um but yeah, uh, just thank you so much. And I'm super excited to release the seven-part series I've been working so hard on during this quarantine. My creative juices have been flowing, oh, or it's just desperation, um, <laughs> trying to figure out uh, you know, other ways to create content. But I'm really excited about it, and I'll be releasing it in the next couple of weeks, and I'm uh, just really excited for you guys to hear it. Um, yeah, so thank you so much and I hope you're doing well. I'm excited tomorrow. So, or actually no. So this, this comes out, it'll be today. So, um, tonight I have a, uh, live comedy show. Um, well like live on zoom, but it's really cool. My friend Ben Glebe, you know him from, uh, the round table on Chelsea Handler. He's got his own, 
uh, comedy special, Neurotic Gangster. I think that's what it's called. Um, funny guy. He also hosted his own game show for years. Anyways, he created this because all of us, you know, I know a lot of comedians who just like their their entire income is touring and um, they like Brad Williams, for example, just had a baby and then now he can't tour. So, you know, he's uh, Ben Glebe was cool enough to set this up for us and it really does feel like a real comedy club as much as it can. So I hope you guys join me tonight at the Nowhere Comedy Club. You can get tickets at NowhereComedyClub.com and or you can find them on my Instagram. I've linked them, you know, 7,000 times a day uh, and find me on Instagram at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. But yeah, DM me how you're feeling, how you're doing. I um, I posted this, so the episode today um, with uh, Stephanie Whittle's Walks. Um, I posted like the morning of when I was recording and I was just kind of asking for like how anyone's feeling if they know anyone who, um, you know, has a family member or a friend, uh, who is struggling with, uh, substance abuse, um, or, you know, uh, maybe even yourself. Um, Stephanie Whittle's walks is just, she's hilarious. She's just incredibly strong. And, you know, she's, she was hit with one of the worst things a person can go through. Her brother, super talented, super successful comedian, uh, Harris Whittles, um, passed away of a heroin, heroin overdose a couple years ago. Um, he wrote for the Sarah Silverman show. Um, he was supposed to be Aziz Ansari's, uh, best friend in his new show back when it was first coming out, Master of None, uh, wrote, uh, he was the person that came up with the term humble brag. You'll hear about him, but it's about Stephanie because she's the guest and also dear Harris. Um, but yeah, Stephanie has had a huge entertainment career in her own right. She has been a very successful voice actress. She, um, as an author, she, when she was hit with this trauma of losing her, her, her only brother, um, it was also at the time that she had just gotten married, just had a newborn baby and the baby was suffering with some health issues. And she actually got the call when she, um, that her brother had died when, um, when she was at the doctor with her daughter and her only way of getting through it was, was just to get through. And she did have a, you know, a little girl she had to take care of and a wonderful husband, but she also just started writing. And, uh, she's the author of the book, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragic memoir of genius, heroin, love, and lost. Uh, it's an unflinchingly honest memoir about her brother's death. Um, and yeah, it's, She's just, she, and so anyways, her entire now career sort of has has spurred her into this looking into, you know, what are we doing wrong with people that are struggling with substance abuse problems? And, you know, it's um, obviously, if you don't know, a lot of it is, you know, it's a mental health issue or a, a voids they're trying to fill. It's not just that they're like, you know, this pleasure-seeking addict it's it's a it's a it's it really is a disease and it's important to think of it in that way so she started a podcast called last day with um her partner who also lost her brother of a heroin overdose and they are interviewing a ton of people on her podcast um discussing and just trying to get the bot get to the bottom and hopefully trying to solve uh this epidemic and it's really good it, it is i've cried so many times listening to our podcast but i've also laughed so many times and you're gonna you're gonna experience it with stephanie there's a reason why her and her brother were or she still is just hilarious humans and um there's a lightness to this so don't be afraid but i think it's important to talk about especially you know that everyone's you know social distancing and isolating it can be very lonely and if you are or know someone who is struggling with addiction, um, yeah, know that you're not alone and there are so many people that care about you and realize that it is 
you know, not a quick fix. It is a healing process and everyone loves you and they're here for you. So without further ado, my guest, Stephanie Whittles Walks. Okay, it was nice to talk to you again. The first time, obviously, was Screwed Up Stories and I had a co-host, but um, I love your podcast. I just caught up on a ton of episodes um, this morning because my boyfriend woke me up at like 4.30 a.m. as he was like, watch TV all night and then woke me up when he came to bed and then I was like, great, I'm up now. Thank you. (laughs) Don't ever Um, have children. Don't ever have children. (laughs) I I actually do worry about that. what, but I feel like you might be able to relate to me on this because on one of your podcasts, you said you're going to be on thyroid medication until you kick the bucket or whatever that phrase is. Yep. And I worry that I will not. I'm, I, have, I have no thyroid gland anymore. My body was just like, hey, Rach, we're just done with this now. We're just, you know, we're going to radiate it out of your body for no reason. Like I didn't have any surgery. It just made it disappear sure. for some reason. Sure. And so I'm always tired and I'm like I don't know how I'm going to have kids so I'm curious how do you get through unless you have the do you have you have hypo or hyper hypo hypo yeah me too yeah um how do you get through it so I think like we are um biological creatures who are wired to uh rise to the occasion (laughs) so like Mm -hmm. I don't know like it doesn't make any sense I shouldn't be able to do it I'm really tired all the time but like now I have two children and two dogs and like it's just chaos and I somehow I don't know I don't I don't know how Rachel I don't I don't know you just (laughs) doing it because people have to survive (laughs) And it's up to you. Yeah, well, I mean, and you you know that more than anyone. Um, how Do you feel like you thrive in chaos at all? Like, do you feel like that is something yes. you've now become accustomed to since? Always. I've always, yeah. I've, I, I've like always, I think, I think there's two types of people in this world. I'm going to lay it down. I think there's people <laughs> who thrive in chaos and then there's people who don't. And um, I've always thrived in chaos. It's just kind yeah. of where I feel comfortable um so yeah it's a familiar place and so like I my parents will come over and they'll be like it is insane here you know and I'm like what what why what 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 what, what feels insane this is you know they're <laughs> maybe like, it's a you problem it's it seems like it's a you problem it's totally fine like everybody's fine no one's dead you know like we're, we're all good um like it's just always loud you know and and there's barking and screaming and like crying and things are falling and you know I don't know. You just like get accustomed to whatever your reality is. And yeah. like, it's like I look at people who have like four kids and I'm like, are you made of what an alien is made of? And I think that, I don't know, you just you just get accustomed to whatever it, your reality is. So, yeah, that makes sense. So I wanted to um, before we get into like all the talk of addiction and everything, I feel like it's probably um happens to you a lot where people don't ask you about you anymore it is your story at least on your podcast um has become the story of your brother sort of Mm. and so I wanted to um I want to know about your your career how it got started how you met your husband but before I ask that I'm curious was this a dynamic in your childhood with you and your brother. So before he became um, addicted to heroin, before this was a struggle, did um, did he perhaps maybe suck more attention than you did or does that have <laughs> nothing to do with it? No, actually not at all. Like, um, 
we I, it's so funny like when we were growing up I, I started dressing him up in all of my clothing and putting makeup on him and making him star in my plays that I would make in our garage like when I was you know three or four mm-hmm. and he was just sort of like at my mercy <laughs> I tortured him in every sort of way um he was down for it most of the time um but like yeah the the funny joke of it was like Harris didn't talk for for many years and I was sort of like oh his, really his, his interpreter and um my parents were like does he talk can he talk um but I was always talking I mean I was like always you know voicing all of the opinions um and I my parents when I was like four or five they're like let's put you in a theater class because you have a lot of energy that you need to Mm -hmm. channel um and so I kind of went that direction so I I always like was very um loud and opinionated and um you know energetic uh and Harris I think was like actually more of the chiller when we were little and mm-hmm. then when we turned into teenagers, um, he kind of went bonkers a little bit and I kind of chilled out and it's sort of like the, the the tables turned. But I mean, I think like the characteristic of our family was always very loud, very funny, laughing, joking. Uh, no one was ever serious, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So like... Yeah, but I, I, it's so weird. I've never like thought about it that way. I, I, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that it went it went down that way when we were kids. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, so did you ever? Um, because you, you're you're in entertainment. Um, but did you ever want to go into comedy like your brother? Was that a passion of yours? I don't quite know the backstory on that. Like, what was your career trajectory? Yeah, no. Oh my god, I did stand up one time at the Comedy Cellar. Um, I went to college in New York, and so. I did you one. You started at the Comedy Cellar? Yes, I did an open mic at the Comedy Cellar. Oh my gosh, that's a tough room. <laughs> oh my God. It was the most terrifying five minutes of my life. Like, I, I just, I, I never, ever again would want to put myself in that position. I'm much more comfortable, mm-hmm. like, in a studio in my pajamas behind a microphone. That feels way better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my trajectory was like, I went to school, I went to NYU for um, directing and acting. So I was like, theater actor director um mm-hmm. I've done a lot of voiceover work so like cartoons tons of cartoons and I've done that for oh, wow. f- 15 years um so yeah like I I never I remember like when I would see Harris do open mics I would just like my heart would be <laughs> exploding it's just like mm-hmm. laughing really loud you know <laughs> did it have, everybody wasn't he so funny you know just like <laughs> so like, like I oh my god I just would terrorize me being in the room that's that's the way you get someone to believe they're funny before they are like my first time doing stand-up was I took a class I've been doing it for like close to 10 years now but I took a class to learn how to write jokes and so my first time on stage was like a showcase that I invited all my family and friends to and of course they're like pity laughing and so I was like I'm I'm hilarious like afterwards I was like ah I was born to do this I'm a star and then I went to an open mic like a real one and no one laughed and I was like oh this is gonna be a hard road right this is not easy yeah, no, I mean, he, like, he was um, always exponentially braver than I am, like, almost to the point mm-hmm. of, like, something was wrong in his brain, but, like, he started this sketch comedy group when he was 13 or 14, and, and my grandmother was in the audience, and he 
like walked across the stage completely naked with a cowboy hat in front of his uh, loins and just like sort of sauntered across like all his friends everyone he knew all my parents friends like he just he missed the the gene for fear Um, and so I think like he him doing stand-up like is much more in line with his personality whereas like I have tons of fear Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um you know much more comfortable with a script or with something that's been rehearsed you know yeah um that's very interesting to me uh go ahead go ahead what were you gonna say no no no. I mean it's we both turn you know we both ended up as writers like in different ways um and I think that I mean my dad was like my dad wrote medical textbooks like my dad is a very left-brained sciencey guy um Mm -hmm. and he would you know always like bleed tons of red ink on everything Harris and I ever wrote like (laughs) I remember one time he's like why do you have to use so many adjectives like just use a noun without an adjective (laughs) just say it (laughs) I don't know dad I just like I'm in my feelings like I don't don't know what to tell you um (laughs) and like you know but like he was very he cared a lot about school you know he cared a lot about our grades and Harris was like we didn't know if he was going to ever graduate high school like he he was an incredibly smart um like genius person and and I remember our English teacher who we loved so much um who passed away last year actually she would use Harris's essay as like the sample AP essay every single Uh year like for 20 years um Mm -hmm. but he wasn't a great student like he was a a really brilliant mind but he only did what he wanted to do they actually say those are the most successful people like yeah I mean like I'm like a little embarrassed I almost got straight A's because I'm like does that mean I'm not going to be like a Steve Jobs genius rich type 100% yes yes I, I was the same way like I I tutored grammar in my teacher's class. Like I was number 15, you know, in my class. I was like straight A's. I also like did a lot of drugs and was like awful. But I was always a really good student. Um, Mm -hmm. But Harris was like just, you know, he was in a band and he had a sketch group and he, you know, like he did what he wanted to do. So yeah, um, I think his like trajectory into comedy makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that actually... um Okay, now I'm now now I'm thrown off by my question because I was going to say you said that he had more um, he had no fear. You had more fear. And I was going to say because I've heard you say many times on the podcast. and Obviously, you're not a drug user now. And I'm sure that was just like a teen thing. But you say like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a drug user, so it's hard for you to relate to or whatever. I was going to say, do you think that 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 lack of fear in him is what maybe caused him to experiment more and then I was gonna say like and your fearfulness caused you not to but I guess you did experiment but I was I'm so fear like it's surprising to me that I do do stand-up because I am pretty a type and like I I can't do drugs like it's a no for me like mm. I'm just not I'm not like I'm not gonna try it like I'm, it's just I'm too like I've tried weed enough times to know that like I it's a no. So I'm not going to go beyond that. Like if, if someone gave me like acid or something, I would be the person like rocking myself in the corner. Like it's a, so I'm, do you think partially besides maybe experimenting in high school, you're being more fearful, maybe separated you guys in two different trajectories when it came to substances? It's a, it's a really tricky question. Um, and one that I've like explored extensively, uh, on the Mm -hmm. show and also 
<clears throat> just in my brain. Um, but I, I didn't just like smoke some pot in high school. I, I did a lot of acid. I did, a, I did a lot of drugs. Like I, mm-hmm. um, I just stopped doing them. <laughs> I don't know. It was like by the yeah. time I got to college, I was like, yeah, I've, I'm good. Like I've done this. Like a lot of my friends, I feel like when I got to college, I, I was in New York. I was living in the West Village and. A lot of mm-hmm. these people who I was in school with had never had a taste of freedom. Like I, mm-hmm. my parents were very lax <laughs> growing up. Um, you know, my dad like had us when he was like super old and <laughs> they just like didn't care. Um, <laughs> I mean, they were like wonderful, loving parents and were very supportive of us, of us like chasing our dreams and, and being happy. But in terms of like rules and limits, like we, it was just a very sort of free flowing kind of a household. And so I think, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like I didn't need to do all of that experimentation. So I was kind of like, by the time I got to college, I was like, yeah, you know, I've done all that. Um, do you think it's maybe because it wasn't forbidden? That makes sense. Yes. You know, like they say, like Catholics, like kids that go to Catholic school are the most wild or whatever, because everything's forbidden. Yeah. I mean, I, for me personally, like that, that rings true. Like there was no kind of mystery there, but then it's like with Harris, I mean, you can get into like, and I think we probably will in this conversation, but there's so many different factors that play into why mm-hmm. people become addicted to drugs. Um, and most of them have to do with the fact that it's not really about the drugs at all. It's that it, what whatever the addiction is, provides some sort of benefit, some sort of mm-hmm. positive benefit um, that, that obviously has negative consequences on your life, but mm-hmm. it provides some sort of something. And... Mm-hmm. Everyone has a different kind of addiction. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, some are more socially acceptable than others. Um, and like my brothers happen to be opioids and heroin, which is mm-hmm. number one, not socially acceptable and two, deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we become addicted to things because of, you know, like our genes, because of our trauma response, because of our void inside of us, whatever that is, because of you know, X, Y, and Z. And, um, for Harris, you know, he, for whatever reason, I wish I could ask him. I can't, this is why I explore it for 26 episodes on last day. Um, (laughs) you know, he, he couldn't stop using, using opioids. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think some people kind of like quote unquote outgrow their drug addictions or their drug experimentation. I won't say addictions, um, and that there is like this typical teenage kind of like American teenager experimenting with things that we do and that we ex- sort of accept. Um, mm-hmm. But like I have other addictions. Like I, I talked about this on the show on on um, episode 17. We we had Dr. Gabor Mate come on who's like this trauma therapist. He's incredible. And it's like it, it was very clear to me by the end of that episode that like I am a very intense work addict like I oh my god I was that's I was just gonna say I know exactly what mine is I'm like definitely yeah. definitely a workaholic Intensely. definitely a perfectionist yeah yeah and, same and, and it to has, an unhealthy degree oh I my think, gosh totally myself. and 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 it provides benefit for me it does something that's positive for me but like there are negative consequences like for my kids for my husband for my you know the people that love me they're like hey hi hi we are humans you love us can you you know can you tune in (laughs) to me Mm -hmm. um and like when your six-year-old is like I told you to leave your cell phone at the door you know and like (laughs) like it's like it feels horrible you know um so yeah like I, I think that that 
one of the things that I'm like really passionate about with all of this is like upping our compassion quotient um, around all addiction because it's like, yeah, this person may be addicted to heroin, but like you're also addicted to whatever the hell you're addicted to. Yours is oh, just 100%. Like not going to kill you, you know. So. And people hide be- people hide behind the fact that their addiction is um, uh, just not as taboo. So it's it's very easy to point the finger at other people and not look look within yourself, like. You know, people, I think people can be addicted to even like religion. People can be addicted to obviously shopping. People can be addicted to love. I'm here to tell you about a product that has truly changed my life. I mean it. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just joshing you right now. I don't know if that's a term that anyone's used in the year 2000s and beyond, but whatever. It's my word. CBD, you know, we all have heard about it, right? But do you know the company behind your favorite products? And do you know how to find the highest quality, you know, because it can all start to feel like a who's who in the industry. But honestly, my who's who is Hempland USA. It's America's number one CBD company. And as an industry veteran, Hempland USA has produced the world's highest quality CBD oil since 2014, well before the CBD boom. And they're just one of the few companies that controls their supply chain. So they offer the highest quality products at competitive prices. And the coolest thing they have is uh, they have these bulk discount pricing that can't be beat with discounts up to 30% year round. It's so crazy. It's, it is the best quality CBD I've ever used. And it is the best value. Hempland USA is all about value. What you get is more CBD for less money. It's just a win-win for everyone. And they have a signature line of full-spectrum, THC-free, and enhanced CBD products that are third-party lab-tested and as pure and effective as nature intended. They also have a lifetime money-back guarantee and 24-hour customer phone support. What other CBD company has that? None, my friends. Hempline USA is the real deal and you're going to be so confident you're going to love their products. They back every sale with a 100% money-back guarantee at any time, no questions asked. So I was very skeptical about taking CBD during the day, like I'd taken at night to sleep. But when I talked to the, the rep at um, Hempland USA, they explained to me they have this incredible product called ECS5. And it contains a blend of black pepper, clove, hops, rosemary, and jujube that supercharges CBD so that your body can process it better. And I can't stress it enough that it is like it gives me mental focus so it doesn't make me sleepy during the day but also calms me down it just makes me for feel more balanced focus and just an overall sense of well-being it has truly been a game changer for me and I also use the therapeutic cream I actually have it on right now because my muscles have been sore from working out just eases the tension in your muscles and Hempline USA's premium CBD tinctures, soft gels, and topicals are available only at HemplineUSA.com. And I encourage you guys to try them. And now it's an exciting time because they also just released a new line of high-strength tinctures in some of the highest strengths of CBD that are commercially available. Hempline's new tinctures have higher potency and a lower price per milligram of CBD than anything else I've seen out there. Higher potency CBD provides better value and is more effective than lower strength products that don't really do anything for you. So if you're looking to add more calm and balance and focus to your life, then look no further than Hempland USA. And you can take 20% off your next order by using the link hemplanusa.com slash be here. And don't forget to use the offer code be here at checkout. There's no better time now than now to start a new healthy habit. In addition to a healthy lifestyle and getting lots of sleep, CBD supports the system in your body that regulates immune system function. And these days we could all use a little extra support. 
It's Hempland's mission to help everyone feel and function their best with the highest quality CBD available. So experience the Hempland USA difference today by going to hemplandusa.com slash be here and using offer code be here at checkout for 20% off. That's hemplandusa.com slash be here and use code be here at checkout. Yeah, it's it's all like stemming from the same place is the thing. It's mm-hmm. like it manifests differently, but it's all mm-hmm. kind of like the same issue. Um, yeah. And, and like the, the characteristics are different, but it's like in the same way that like we're all human people with um, organs that are the same, mm-hmm. like skeletons all look the same, but the outsides are all different. I, I, I kind of like view addiction that way, too. It's like it's all the same stuff. It's just mm-hmm. um, sort of presents differently. Yeah, it's just it's so confusing. Before we get fully into addiction talk, though, like because I have so many questions and, and thoughts that I came up with in the six hours I've already been awake today because <laughs> my boyfriend woke me up. Um, I uh, I wanted to find out. So how did you meet your husband? And can you I already know your story, but can you explain kind of the story of you were going through some of the most exciting and monumental times in your life while you were also experiencing the worst things like yeah your wedding when you okay. so if you could yeah. just talk a little bit about that yeah yeah um this is the portion we'll call feel better about your life starring stephanie whittles <laughs> um it's my it's my show it's my one man one woman show um hey i would like to say by the way i'm really happy you got that green dress back i was looking at your highlights <laughs> just side note i was like i was so invested just like what do you mm. mean she's not what do you mean she got the dress and then they canceled the order thank you Thank you. I, I value and appreciate that feedback. I, too, am glad. Now, after I've been in quarantine for how long, I cannot fit into that dress or any of my clothes, probably. Oh, um, I, don't, I, if I, I don't think I have the mental stability to try to put on a pair no. of jeans. No, I don't no, no, think no, no, no. I could handle. No. I don't I don't think I'm there yet. No, we don't do jeans in quarantine. No. We don't do no. jeans. Absolutely no. not. Um, OK, so. So here's like, I'll try to like sum it up as succinctly as possible. I'm going to give you like a rundown of the last 10 years, okay? Okay. I'm going to try to do it in five minutes. Here we go. <laughs> um, so around like two, in 2011, I, I was teaching high school. Like I used to teach theater like at a performing arts high school um, that Harris and I went to actually. And I had these amazing students and I loved my job and I taught acting. Like that's what I got to do for my job. And it was great. But like my coworkers were 15. And so I had a girlfriend who like um, broke up with a guy after seven years. And, and I was like, why don't you do online dating? And she got on and like her profile was terrible. So I was like, let me help you. Like, I don't, let me just like write your profile for you. And let me just like, you know, and then she like started getting all of these dates and she was going out and I was like, why don't I, why don't I do this? This seems like so much fun. Um, so I like got on to do online dating on OkCupid and mm-hmm. I think I went on one date. It was like horrifying. It was terrible. Um, and I was like, this, this place is, is garbage. I will never come back again. And then lo and behold, I saw this guy that lived in Phoenix check out my profile. Like you could see who looked at you and his name mm-hmm. was Clunky Robot. And he was like so cute and adorable. Like I loved, I loved his little face. I just thought it was so cute. And I wrote, I wrote him back. I said, "Fooey, that you live in Arizona." Um, Aww. And then he wrote back like thirty seconds later. This was on Christmas Eve, I remember, of two thousand eleven. He was like, "Yes, but I travel to Houston a lot for work." And then, like one minute later, he wrote back and was like, "That's a lie. I don't. I actually was just laid off. Like I totally just lied to you." <laughs> <laughs> 
I was like, oh my God, an unemployed man who lives in Arizona? Uh, just be still, my heart. And um, <laughs> and so we like started talking like, you know, and he had actually like just moved from Austin back to, to Phoenix where he lived and he was doing a job with the Phoenix Suns and um, doing design work for them. Anyway, six months later, he moved in with me. He moved to Houston into my apartment. I had only met him like five times in real life. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And six months later, uh, we got engaged. And three months later, we got married. Um, and then like a month or two later, I got pregnant. Didn't mean for that to happen. But like, you know, this is what the world does. Um, sex works. <laughs> Sometimes it works. Um, and we got pregnant with my daughter, Iris, who's now six. So anyway, so like all that stuff is great. I have the best husband. Uh, he's um, like a miracle of, of human beings. Um, and like I always, I always say like everything is like, can I say bad words on your podcast? Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you want. Okay. So everything is like so fucked up in my life. But like Mike has always been like, okay, like that's fine. You know, like a lot of people have like, fucked up marriages and then like everything else is okay like the marriage part has always been like thank god because I don't know like how I would have survived this last yeah 10 years without him um so anyway so that's like that piece but like here's where it starts to get crazy so I thought like all right I've met this man he's the man of my dreams everything is going amazingly well like we're gonna get married I love him um and then like three days before my wedding my brother called me and told me that he was a drug addict um, and Gosh. that he was addicted to OxyContin and that he was spending $4,000 a month on pills and I, and, and that I couldn't tell my parents. So that part, that part breaks my heart the most for you. And when you told it on screwed up stories where I was like, what, what are you supposed to do? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, uh, like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine if something had, if he had overdosed during that period when you knew and your parents didn't know, that is such an unfair position to put you in. I understand why he did it, but thank God that didn't happen. I mean, <laughs> oh, I know, it, like, I know, I know. The, um, the amount of guilt you would have felt like it was a really it was an impossible situation. But like, you know, I I when people are addicted to drugs, like one of the symptoms of of addiction, particularly to substances, is that your addiction uh, has to survive. Like I've heard people on my show mm-hmm. call it like the monster inside of them. And the monster, mm-hmm. like think about it as Stranger Things, right? Like, you know, the monster's going to mm-hmm. do whatever it has to do to survive. And part of that is lying. Part of that is hurting people. Part of that is putting people in impossible situations. Because if my parents did find out, what would the, what would have happened? Do you know? So like mm-hmm. it wasn't like Harris was thinking that way. It's like the the, the addiction, that's the yeah. addiction, you know, and I at the time obviously like didn't have the um, compassion around it that I do now. I didn't have the education that I do now um, mm-hmm. to understand why he was doing what he was doing. At the time, I was just like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is fucked up. I'm getting married in three days. Like, how how could you know? And, and then I, and then I got pregnant, you know, and so I was like in my first trimester. Um, I had a really hard pregnancy. Like, I'm not one of these women that's like, oh, I love being pregnant. I hate being pregnant. Um, it's like <laughs> hell. It's a version of hell. And it was rough. Um, anyway, like, my daughter was born in January. Um, and 
when (laughs) this is a whole other part she was born and then 24 hours later she failed a newborn hearing screening that they give every baby Mm -hmm. um and then we found out that she was born with like a permanent hearing loss in both ears and is it okay now i mean i I saw her on your instagram story first of all lots of personality that one oh my god um oh my god she's adorable i mean is she okay now it seems like it she's great she's great she wears hearing aids she has worn hearing aids since she was six weeks old um Hearing loss is not something that I, I knew also anything about. Um, it's not "quote unquote" curable. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a permanent condition, um, like deafness. You know, um, it's not like you can't regenerate hair cells in the cochlea. And basically, like if you're born with this, um, yeah, it is what it is. But we did like tons of intervention with her. She is like the most confident kid that ever lived. Like almost too much. Uh, and she's like a complete and total badass and I am obsessed with her. Um, she's, she's hilarious. Yeah, she's like the funniest person I know. Thank God, because if not, she would be out of the family. Um, I love in one of her videos, she like was like, it was something like she, it was like you, it was like an influencer almost. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm recording right now. Like, uh, like she was just kind of put out by it, but yeah. felt like she needed to speak. Yeah, like her audience needs her. Like she's, yeah. she's like not going to let you down. Yeah. Um, she knows, she knows, she knows. I am attempting a fitness overall during quarantine because guess what? I don't want to just wake up when we're allowed to go back outside and enjoy the summer and be like, oh yeah, I didn't do anything. No, I'm sticking to it. And sports research is helping me with that. The thing that I'm so obsessed with about sports research research right now is their sweet sweat product and their waist trimmer. So let me explain the miracle of the sweet sweat product and waist trimmer. So many of you already make exercise a priority and Sweet Sweat just helps take your workout to the next level by targeting slow to respond areas. Sweet Sweat may help increase sweating during exercise, which is giving you your best workout yet. Because listen, it takes energy to sweat, more energy than most people think. And like all energy consuming processes, sweating helps burn calories. And Sweet Sweat might sound intimidating, but it's simple. You simply apply the gel to a slow to respond area. So for me, I do my thighs and my stomach and You do that right before your workout and then you proceed as normal. And it comes in a variety of scents. I love the coconut. It makes me smell good. And honestly, for best results, you don't have to do this, but I'm highly encouraging you do. Sweet Sweat in combination with their best-selling waist trimmers uh, is just the best way to get the best workout. You're First of all, it's cinching your waist. It's supporting your back and waist. And when you take that waist trimmer off and the Sweet Sweat is still on your skin, you're like, Oh, well, that looks way different than if I wasn't wearing Sweet Sweat and the waist trimmer. So join the thousands of people who are achieving their fitness goals with Sweet Sweat and meet your motivation today. After all, it's not just a workout unless you break a good sweat. And if you go to sportsresearch.com and use the code BEHERE at checkout right now, you'll get 20% off your order. That's 20% off site-wide at sportsresearch.com with code BEHERE at checkout. Sports Research, your one-stop shop for a lifetime of performance health and wellness. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, she's great. And, but it was like a very stressful time because like when you're going to have a baby, you have all of these expectations for what that's going to be like. You don't expect for your baby to be born with a disability. That's not in your mind when you're thinking about what it's going to be. And mm-hmm. like, it's cool now, but like in the beginning, it amounted to like tons of appointments and MRIs and EKGs and all this little stuff like blood tests poking and prodding this little baby and Mm. I mean it was it was awful and I was a complete disaster like I was a mess and 
around that same time, Harris went to rehab for the first time. So Harris went to his first 30-day rehab when Iris was one month old. And he got out 30 days later, right around the time she got her hearing aids, and um, relapsed, as is the case with 30-day programs. I'll talk more about that later. Um, Yeah. He went to three 30-day programs that year. So like during the first year of her life, he was in and out of rehab. Um, After the... In the after the first rehab, like a few months later, we found out that he had graduated to heroin from opioids, which happens tons of times because um, opioids are really expensive and heroin is cheaper and does the same thing faster and and you can get it on the street. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was just like I don't I don't have the words to explain like how fucked up it is to get a text from your only sibling slash best friend saying like hey i'm shooting heroin now and i'm going oh, to man another rehab and don't tell mom <laughs> oh so you you still hadn't told them at that point no 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 i had but he he did uh, the same thing with like when he graduated to the heroin it was like i see i see so know? they knew your parents knew at the um the first rehab yep, yep. and the yeah okay yep. they knew all that and like you know i mean my brother and I were very close. So like I I knew when he um, would relapse, you know, and I knew when it wasn't going well and I knew his behavior when he was using and um, it was a very, very rough year. And I feel like right as I was kind of coming out of like the kind of, I don't want to say grief, but like, all of this like craziness in my mind about my daughter's stuff I like was Mm -hmm. really making peace with it because she was doing so well like we were we were at she goes to this place called the Center for Hearing and Speech in Houston and it's incredible and we were there and she was doing a speech thing like for her one-year-old checkup and she was like on a three-year-old level um because she's like she's the smartest little kid and um you know like I was like okay like we're good. This is good. She's going to be great and everything's going to be fine. And I felt like this sense of peace and it was February 19th and my birthday was the next day. And I was like, of what, of what year? Of 2015. Okay. So my daughter was born in late January, 2014. So this was February of 2015. And, um, I got a call while I was there for her speech appointment changing her diaper that Harris had died so the detective called me and um gosh I'm so sorry thank you (laughs) it was um not at all funny it was um it was I wrote a book about it (laughs) I mean it was like like the worst moment I've ever experienced single-handedly um and it's so crazy because like when I say it I, I don't say it much but when I say it I can feel viscerally being there I can feel mm-hmm. like exactly in my body what it felt like it feels so mm-hmm. sick you know like it's like instant sickness you know and mm-hmm. um and that sort of like catapulted us into uh just like a nightmare of like you know we were on this like addiction roller coaster for a couple years and then we got on the grief roller coaster and mm-hmm. I was on that um pretty catatonic for like a year my husband like again great guy picked up a lot of the slack um because I had a baby I mean my daughter was Mm -hmm. one and 
um, not only that, but like I was the executor of his estate. So like all of the, this is a thing that people don't talk about much, but like all of the paperwork and like closing out a person's life takes a lot of time and energy. It's like another job. And Mm -hmm. so I was like doing that. And I remember I would like be on the phone with customer service reps and I'd be like, I'm calling because my brother died and I need to do X, Y, and Z form for you. And, oh my God, that sounds like the worst nightmare ever. Oh, and oh you have gosh. to do it again and again and again and again. And like every time they're like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And you're like, could you just fucking give me the form? You know, like it's like, <laughs> it's just like, I, 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 like I get that you're supposed to say that, but it's just, it's just like, a, it's a crazy, crazy time. And mm-hmm. um, anyone that's experienced it, like knows that you're, it's an out of body experience. And I think when you have a baby, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, I always say that my daughter saved me because she had to continue to eat and Mm -hmm. she also had to continue to like pick flowers and dance and like swing and be this joyous baby. And so like you are taken out of yourself and I don't know, it's like very powerful thing. Like it was like this birth and death were very close together for me. Um, Yeah. And so I I started like writing during that time um, and I just really was doing it as like an exercise in survival because I I thought I was Mm going to die. And um, and I put an essay on Medium and I had an agent reach out to me. I was like, do you want to write a book? And I was like, I don't want to be a person. So I uh, (laughs) will keep writing. And if you want to take that nonsense and try to help me make it into a book fine you know like she was just very like low key about it um Mm -hmm. and to this day she's one of my closest friends I love her you know she Mm -hmm. really helped me and I and I and I think truly that writing the book was a form of deep deep therapy um and it also did another thing which is that like it forced me to go back in time and remember all of these things that I didn't want to forget like Mm -hmm. because memory is like so messy and Mm -hmm. fleeting and so I spent a lot of time like looking at all of our old texts and chats and you know old home videos and you know like the the book goes back in time and forward so um yeah it was like a a really intense experience and I and I I recommend like if anyone like in the shit write about it 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 does yeah for me it helped um and then like huh Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, God, I said this is gonna be five minutes. I totally lied to you. Like, God, talky, talky. It's, it's, no, it's an incredible story. I mean, <laughs> um, please keep going. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so we we kind of like got through that. And then like after I had, when you write a book, like you write the book and then like people shop it around and then it, you have to edit it and it takes like, you know, years to get something out. So by the time the book came out, I was um, pregnant again with my son, uh, who is named Harrison after Harris. Oh, that's lovely. I love <laughs> and, that. Uh, we call him Harry, and he's uh, perfect. He's a perfect specimen. He's like blonde and blue eyed. I have no idea. I, I like. I would have. I should remember if I had an affair. I don't think I did. Um, that's so funny because I've seen photos of your husband he's dark haired too oh my god yeah like and Harris had dark hair you have dark hair no, that's all so of funny us. like we are we are 100% Ashkenazi Jew over here like there is no like we've done the DNA tests okay yeah um it's it's crazy um but he you know so like I was very very pregnant with him and 
um, I got like this cold email from this woman named Jess and she was a producer of Pod Save the People um, with Jeremy mm-hmm. McKesson and wanted me to come on and I was like I'm literally going to have a baby in a week so I can't really commit to anything right now but like we talked for an hour and she had lost her brother. Wait, can sorry, can I ask you why the email was cold? Oh, cold, like cold like out of nowhere. Yeah, like, okay, uh, yeah, sorry, like, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. okay, I just yeah. got that. Yeah. Like I didn't okay. I didn't know this woman. She was just like, "Hi, yeah. I'm so and so." And I am like notoriously bad at answering things and so I I don't know like she's 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 good she's good um I have -hmm. a business with her now (laughs) so she's good um but she lost her brother to a fentanyl overdose and Mm -hmm. um heard me on another show called terrible thanks for asking um and she like describes it as like the first time that she laughed and smiled you know like hearing someone Mm -hmm. talk about grief in a way that wasn't like you know on the floor sobbing um Mm -hmm. and so long story short she and I teamed up my son was born. He was born with a profound deafness in one ear. So he is totally, one ear is basically a prop ear. It's a really good looking prop. And so interesting. The so other is totally is it normal. Jeanette? No, it's oh, not. It's- like we truly were struck by lightning twice. <laughs> like there's like my, wow. my daughter's is totally internal genetic. My son's, it's like a, he doesn't basically have a cochlea in his left ear. So it's mm-hmm. more structural. Um, and then he has full hearing in his right ear. So, I mean, again, it's been a fucked up 10 years, uh, to say I the mean, least. honestly. Um, but yeah, so like Jess and I got together. Um, we started working on the show that became Last Day. And then we made that podcast. And we were like, do you want to make a media company about like terrible things <laughs> that happen to people? <laughs> it's like, absolutely. And um, here we are. We've We've celebrated our first year anniversary of the company in March and we have six shows currently out and wow. uh congratulations thank you thank you the end that yeah well <laughs> you it was beautifully told and it was the perfect <laughs> amount of time motherhood is a crazy sometimes overwhelming and almost always rewarding journey but that can sometimes make you feel a bit isolated from Audio Boom comes a new podcast just for all you moms, appropriately titled FAM, For All Moms. Join hosts Susan Yara and Shar Zed Day as they dive into mom topics that are both hilarious and serious. These ladies are real and relatable, tackling just about any topic in their lives, whether it's about their kids, marriage, or life in general. I know that I have been tuning in because I want to have kids one day. I also want to get married one day, and I just want to see how moms are balancing this crazy life and for all moms is doing just that for you this audio boom original podcast has new episodes every wednesday and is available on your favorite podcast app right now be sure to search for and subscribe to fam fam for all moms in apple Podcasts, spotify iHeartRadio, or wherever your favorite podcast app is i first of all your podcast is so moving. I've cried many times listening to it. I've also laughed many times listening to it. I've also learned so much. I'll give the cliff notes here. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you kind of when we were done with Screwed Up Stories. I have a very unique perspective um, on this in the sense that I I don't um, have substance abuse disorder or addiction. I don't know the right word to say. But I got to experience being in a 30-day program 
And so I, uh, very strange how it happened. It was a, a, a bad person in my life that uh, kind of uh, manipulated my very worried, very kind, very anything, they'll do anything to make sure I'm happy type of parents. And um, this girl pitched to my parents that I was really severely depressed. I was maybe sad for life reasons, but uh, in no way actually depressed. That's besides the point. So I went to a dual diagnosis um, place. So there were people that were there for addiction, people that were there for eating disorders, people that were there for depression. Um, But their aim was kind of like the Gabor Maute thing. Like I asked not why the addiction, I asked the pain Mm -hmm. of like they're trying to treat what's, you know, But anyways, I had got a very unique front seat view into in order to go to these facilities, you have to legally get passed through a detox facility. Granted, I only had to stay there for a a day just until whatever, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't detoxing, never Mm -hmm. done drugs in my life. So uh, but I did um, witness it was terrifying. I witnessed people coming off of heroin. I like uh, I would say the trauma of going through that was worse than any sadness I ever even felt, Mm. you know. What, but it is, I mean, it is so, so incredibly traumatic. And I realized how sheltered and naive I was too. Like, uh, just the conversations I would like, you know, and once I finally got to milestones, I, you know, there's all the people I went with are all now very close friends of mine, but just even, I guess I just didn't have a full understanding of how this all works and how it is something that many people just can't help just like you said like you could screw out of it you just didn't want to do drugs anymore like I don't know what it is but it is such a complex thing yes obviously Mm -hmm. and so uh I've learned a lot listening to your podcast a lot I already kind of knew but I still um I'll get to my question I still wrestle with uh Honestly, where I stand on it, because I do uh, believe in harm reduction. I want, I think people need to be kept alive, but I just, I, I don't know how it all works still. So my question is, I was listening to your episode with um, Garth uh, mm-hmm. Mullins, I think, yep. from Canada. Um, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I was so surprised at how intelligent, clear he sounded, uh, amazing, it sounds like has amazing life but he's on methadone mm-hmm. for the rest of his life probably mm-hmm. um I'm embarrassed to admit that I was surprised by that but I guess people just don't realize that it is some people just need medicine to sustain them in the future like they're probably not gonna kick this thing and so saying so now I want to get your opinion so saying to some people like you need to get sober or it's over is is not the right way to go. I mean, it, it makes for really good TV. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, Intervention is a really good TV show. Um, mm-hmm. One of Harris's is my favorite shows. Uh, but yeah, I used to watch that too. It's so intense. Oh, it's so you so get like good. really depressed afterwards. I mean, if you think about like from a storytelling perspective, like what makes a good story, it's like an ultimatum. Like, you're going to do this or you're going to do this. What's your answer? You know, it's like great, Mm -hmm. great, great TV. It's a terrible way (laughs) to do life um, or to, like, Mm -hmm. handle a loved one. Um, And I also, like, want to caveat all of this with, like, I am not a doctor. So, so, like, take everything I say with 
the fact that like I don't have a medical degree. I have no letters behind my name. I have immersed myself in this as somebody who wishes that I had known more when my person was going Mm -hmm. through it. Um, And so I've, and I've talked to tons of experts um, from all over the world about it um, and sort of like generated Mm -hmm. my own thoughts and opinions based on that. So I just want to like say that at the outset. Um, But like, no, an intervention uh, is is not is not pro- is not going to work. It might work. You might get your person to treatment, um, mm-hmm. but the likelihood that they're going to one stay there or two um, get sober against their will or three maintain sobriety mm-hmm. is a different story. So, like, here's the deal with the 30 day programs. It's not that they're inherently uh, bad, right? Or or that there is good treatment or bad treatment. It, it's that. If you are not going to a program that has some sort of maintenance plan attached to it to where Mm -hmm. you're going to leave that pristine bubble and go out into the world either on medication-assisted treatment like methadone or buprenorphine or uh, naloxone or or whatever it is, there's a bunch of different options, um, or that you're going to have a support system in place uh, in the long term. Uh, or, you know, you're going to completely change the habits that you formed before going in, then the 30 days Mm -hmm. are basically a vacation, you know? Mm -hmm. And the thing about vacation is, like, you feel great when you're on vacation, but the second Mm -hmm. you get to the airport and someone, like, fucks up your luggage, like, it's back to the races. You know what I mean? That's a very good example, yeah. It's like, it's like, like, the triggers of life are not ever going to go away. So, like, you can, you can go through, and I've talked to, so many people who are who who have addiction and have opioid use disorder and substance use disorders and they'll say like I finished rehab and I was white knuckling it so hard to try to Mm -hmm. like survive um but the people who like didn't have the medication assisted treatment like methadone Mm -hmm. uh typically were going to be prone to relapse and so any any like any I, I would just encourage people like when you are looking for a rehab program you want to you want to look for a couple of things. One, do you do medication assisted treatment? Is that something that you believe in? Because the thing is is like the people who are doing medication assisted treatment are the ones who are going to be addressing addiction in a disease framework. Mm-hmm. Like I you mentioned my thyroid thing. So like mm-hmm. I will be on thyroid medicine my entire life because my thyroid doesn't function like it should. Yeah. And like nobody looks at that and is like, "Well, you're a fuck up." Like, you're going to be on thyroid medication forever? Like, uh you know, get this kid some help. It's (laughs) like, you know, like, that's just how my body works. That's my chemical makeup. And so if we can shift our understanding of addiction to a disease framework and and trust doctors, you know, you're going to be really hard pressed to find a medical doctor who is a board certified addiction medicine specialist who does not believe in medication assisted treatment. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think people need to realize too, and there are very good, very honest rehabs out there, but there are some very, very shady ones. Like I actually even talked to not like in a podcast setting, but I just happened to be at a birthday party that Dr. Drew was at. And I um, told him my story. And while I love the place that I went to, 
he said they should not have let you shouldn't have been there but it's a money-making thing like of course of course they're gonna tell my parents well she didn't have anything in her system but you know what maybe we'll find out in these 30 days like maybe there's like some underlying you know mental health issue and it was like I literally left that place with a piece of paper that said has general anxieties or something like like just it was like basically like you're a normal human and I mean yes we got some good family therapy out of it but Mm-mm. It is a money-making business, I mean, too. totally. It's like, basically, here's the deal. Like, right now, the rehab industry in America, which is the one that I can speak to, incentivizes relapse instead of recovery. And yes. that is, that's the bottom line. Uh, like, and it, and it is a really good business model, you know? Like, if you have people who, like, come to your 30-day program and then, like, they're clean forever. Like, you're not going to have a repeat customer. What kind of businessman doesn't want a repeat customer? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. it it makes sense. Um, and, like, I don't think that it's as nefarious as that. I don't think that people are sitting there like, Mr. Burns, like, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of all of these people. Um, yeah. But, like. I agree. It's just, but it's a product of doing business in a sure. weird way. For sure. Yeah. And, like, and like it's. The other thing, the other thing that's important to note, guys, is that 30 days is nothing. 30 days is Mm -hmm. like a drop in the bucket. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like I have heard time and time and time again from actual medical doctors with lots of letters behind their names that you do not meet the level of the general population in terms of recovery and sobriety until five years sober. At five Mm -hmm. years, your risk level to relapse becomes like what your risk level is so like as, mm-hmm. as a person like you who's never used drugs before um, mm-hmm. and who is not addicted somebody who has been five years sober has your risk of relapse but like mm-hmm. if you think about that like is it just days, the way your brain your it, it takes your brain uh, like kind of chemically to rewire or your brain your yeah like your brain your body your physiology your psychology your emotional life your whatever you know mm-hmm. the support system you have all of that stuff that all of the studies suggest that it takes five years um to be sort of like okay you know and even mm-hmm. at that point you're not okay at that point like yeah you still need to have a support system in place so yeah. but like at that point you're you're probably in a better position than you were when you were two years sober and you are certainly in a better position than you were at 30 fucking days sober mm-hmm yeah. The other thing that I found that uh, was very interesting because what else was I going to do during that time than just start hearing about people's experiences? I was very curious. It was the first time I ever even learned what fentanyl was, um, mm. it, it, which was shocking, um, was that a lot of the people, so they were on their, you know, some of them, like their sixth time in rehab or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. I heard it more than once where someone was like, yeah, I was just using pills or I was just doing, you know, this and this. But I actually learned kind of how to graduate to heroin, heroin while I was in rehab because I met this guy there. And then, like, it's almost like they kind of form a little community, too, afterwards. Like, they and, – and that can't be – that can't be stopped. It doesn't mean that people shouldn't go to rehab because they're going to, you know – be with the wrong people and, and but it just was fascinating to me too where it's like even that part's not really working yeah 
Yeah, I mean, well, who are you in rehab with? You're in rehab with other people who like to do the things you like to do, you know? Yeah, but I but I got the concept of it. Like, if I was someone interested in doing drugs, I feel like I would have learned how to do it. Like, I, sure. after hearing all those stories, like, hell. I mean, I would nev- definitely not know how to get it or ask for it, and I probably yeah. would be real dorky about it. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but I, I learned a lot. It was a crash yeah. course. In- yeah, I mean, the other thing I want to say is, like, I'm not I'm not saying that like if you don't have medication assisted treatment you're doomed. I mean the the statistics are very clear that like it is helpful if you especially are like addicted to opioids and heroin because mm-hmm. I visited a place in Houston actually um called the Women's Home. I think this was episode 23. Um and they are an 18 month program. So They do not do medication-assisted treatment, but you are there for 18 months. And in Mm. that time, um, they really serve – they serve women. They serve women who are homeless, who have co-occurring mental disorders of some kind, um, and who – many of whom are are coming from, like, abuse situations uh, and – you know, who are addicted. And so they've got all of these issues, right? And like a lot of these women have never had jobs. Like a lot of them Mm -hmm. were working, you know, as sex workers and um, or were with controlling partners. And so they have this like resale shop and they give the women work experience and they give Mm -hmm. the women 30 hours a week of therapy, 30 hours. So like for 18 months and and you don't have to pay for it. It's totally free. It is a That's wonderful. Totally free. What is program. it called? It's called the Women's Home. It's in Houston. The They're amazing. They do okay. amazing work. They've been around for 60 years. Um and they don't believe in medication assisted treatment. And while I was there, I was like having this like real conflict with like, you know, cuz I I so like believe in this now. I'm like part of the cult. But but it's not that it's this it's not like it's this thing or it's the other thing. It's that like long-term treatment is equally important. So mm-hmm. whatever you do, think long-term. Think like I need to be in a place. And, and and when I was thinking long-term, like when Harris was using, I remember thinking like, not thinking, having an argument with him, one of many, where I was like, <laughs> Harris, you know, go to th- a three-month program. Go to a six-month program. And he's like, well, if I go, I'm going to lose my job. I'm like, you're going to fucking die. You know, like – it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you have your job because you're going to die. And mm-hmm. But even that, three months, six months is nothing. You need to go somewhere yeah. for like a year, for 18 months, for two years. Like go away, <laughs> you know, fix mm-hmm. your brain. And when I say fix your brain, I mean like go to therapy for 30 hours a week. Address your trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, because if that stuff isn't worked out, then then you're, it's, you're screwed, you know. You're going to get mm-hmm. out and like if the same demons are inside of you, like they're going to be there when you leave. Yeah. So did they not do, uh, I mean, he was only there for 30 days, but did they not do therapy during the time? Or was it just basically like abstinence based? Like, just like, hey, we just are going to keep you in here so you can't use? Or so did they have. Are you talking about Harris's rehabs? Yeah. Yeah. So they, it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> they offered him naloxone, which is, which is called Vivitrol. It's Vivitrol. It's basically mm-hmm. a shot that you can take and it blocks your ability to get high. And they mm-hmm. offered it to him three times, I know, in the last rehab and he refused it each time. Um, now, there's a lot of controversy around Vivitrol and whether it's the most effective medication um, because like 
you have to be sober for X, like for, I think it's like seven days at least before you can take it. Like what addict is Mm -hmm. sober for seven days? And then once you get off of it, like the second the medication wears off, like you are, you are totally ripe to to overdose Mm -hmm. again. So like it, there's this, there's this school of thought that rehabs will offer naloxone because it's like the easiest to OD it's it's terrible like it's terrible to say it out loud well, I was gonna I was gonna say I'm confused by that so it blocks your ability to get high but then that sounds like someone would just then use more heroin to get high which would make them overdose so you can't feel high you like it blocks your ability to to get high at all but like, do you think instinctually they I mean they know they're on the drug but do you think that if you're really in a desperate state like would like they possibly just use a ton more thinking they could break the barrier of this drug or something? You literally can't. Like you, oh, okay. you literally it's blocking the the um the opioid receptor. Like you lit- you cannot get high. Oh, okay. At all. Like you can shoot any you will not feel a, a, an ounce of being high. Um mm-hmm. so it's like he didn't want to take it, you know? But like I'm like, well, why did you like, why were you just offering him Vivitrol? Why didn't you put him on Suboxone? Or why didn't you put, you know, like, I, I have a lot of questions around it still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's like they're evil. I think that what what people knew about addiction in 2014 is so mm-hmm. much different than what people know about it now. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and I've said this to my dad, like my dad's, a doctor like retired but like internal medicine and you know I've said to him like if I knew then what I know now and he's like you can't you can't play that game because like you don't Mm -hmm. know (laughs) like you don't know what you don't know and yeah like especially when it comes to science and medicine and advancements in that way like it's very um it's very tempting to be like I know all this stuff now and if Harris would have done this but it's like at that point nobody knew that you know Mm -hmm. so like it's it's like it's like a tricky survivor's game that people play with themselves um that yields and and every case is different too i think that that is like you know so i i have a so did you um looking back and i you i you guys weren't living in the same city so maybe you didn't have any visual cues like you when harris uh started uh using pills and uh, everything uh you guys were not living in the same city no correct he was in LA okay. and I was in Houston okay but I guess non-visual cues looking back do you do you feel like there were signs uh I'll give you a quick example my first boyfriend in Los Angeles um did a lot of cocaine I literally told my friends gosh he's really hyper when he drinks and he like breathes like a dragon like I just literally didn't know <laughs> looking back now now I can see the signs in both of them like now I'm like oh because I'm wiser now and hindsight is you know uh looking back do you think that there were signs in Harris that maybe you didn't see or hear in his voice or notice in his or was he just such a functioning I mean because he was incredibly successful maybe for my listeners you should explain how incredibly successful your brother was yeah okay so a couple things like one okay so Harris was um a co-executive producer and writer and actor on Parks and Recreation um he like got his first writer's room job with Sarah Silverman show at 22 
so it's 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 frankly unfair. Yeah, Paris. I mean, if you, like, if, you, totally. if, you can, if you can hear us right now, I've yeah. been in LA a long time. Yeah. I'd kill for that job. All right, yeah. Harris. Totally. I mean, he was like one hundred percent like totally deserving of everyone's hatred. Like he <laughs> was the luckiest person I've ever met. Like things would fall into his lap, and he was also like incredibly kind and charming and gifted and funny and he was a stand-up and he wrote for Eastbound and Down he wrote for Master of None he um he uh, coined the term humble brag if you ever use that word Harris made it Mm -hmm. up that's from his brain so Um, smart yeah like he's and he was like a prolific podcaster anytime anyone who's heard comedy bang bang you've heard Harris um Mm -hmm. so anyway great great guy funny guy um I think it is very uh tricky and also very tempting to want to be like what did I miss and that's the entire reason mind you that we started my show I was like Mm -hmm. I want to I want to like explore how does one person like go from being alive one day to dead the next day and like what could we have done differently and what can all of us do differently right like that was Mm -hmm. the whole crux of the show and how long was his addiction from when he called? Well, it could have been going on far before you knew. But like, how long was it from $4,000 a month in pills to his last day? Two years. How, how long? Two? two? Two years. Two years. Oh, gosh. So like, and, and when he started shooting heroin, it was six months. Wow. Six months. So, I mean. Wow. That is so, I'm so sorry. That is so fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, Harris didn't do things halfway. <laughs> like, he was, he was all in. Um. Yeah, but I also think it is luck of the draw because there are, I mean, why is Keith Richards still alive? I don't know. For sure. (laughs) sure. I mean, and I, and it was probably when fentanyl was being mixed with stuff too. Well, and I, I mean, listen, I honestly think that if Harris hadn't died when he did, he would have been killed by fentanyl. I mean, fentanyl is killing Mm -hmm. more people than anything. It's like being mixed and cut into everything. It is extremely lethal. Um, People are taking fentanyl and not knowing uh, it'll it's so ter- it's so terrifying. It's For terrifying. my listeners, don't do drugs. Don't even think about doing them casually. Don't think it's fun to or, do coke on the weekends because literally cocaine is being mixed with it. Yeah. Like you could die right. doing it one time. So just don't. Don't do it. Or here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give you the harm reduction line, which is that if you are going to use, please, please, please do not use alone. So like mm-hmm. I, I am uh, one thing that I learned on the show that I did not know before is about harm reduction. And I am like I am a zealot now. And if anyone wants to do anything to help people who are struggling with drugs, find your local harm reduction agency and give them all of your money because mm-hmm. these people are doing like the, the, the Lord's work. OK, it's like mm-hmm. there are things that we can do, like there are fentanyl test strips where you can test your drugs. There are, um, you know, uh um oh my god I'm blinking on the I'm saying I want to say naloxone um the nasal oh uh Narcan uh, oh my god yes thank you Narcan yeah um that you know if if you have a friend or a loved one or you uh are somebody who uses heroin or opiates have Narcan on hand it can reverse an overdose although if you if you do reverse the overdose take them to the emergency room immediately because it's a short-lived thing um but it's mm-hmm. very like Uma Thurman and Pulp Fiction where like it's mm-hmm. like stick the shot in and like you wake up oh, yeah. um but like I, I I think that it's 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 tempting to say like what did I miss the thing is with Harris like I knew Harris was using <laughs> I, I it wasn't like a mystery to me I mean in his case he was in a rehab program I knew him to be in that rehab program. He had just landed 
five days before um, a dream acting job. He was going to be um, Aziz's best friend on Master of None that ended up being played by Eric mm-hmm. Wareheim. And mm-hmm. he was so excited about it. He had like the Airbnb tab for New York. They were moving to New York in two weeks to start shooting open on his laptop when he died. Like he was headed f- for this. Okay. I I knew that he was in rehab. He checked himself out of rehab on a Tuesday without telling us. So like oh wow. Like I I in my mind he was like there. He was doing good. We checked in regularly. Um but he checked himself out. He did the last thing he did was a comedy show at Meltdown. Um he did the comedy show. He came <laughs> home. He like sent an email to my mom and was like talking talking about how like fortunate he felt and how much he loved her and how grateful he was for this new was he pretending to still be in the rehab because you didn't know he checked himself out when he sent her that email checked himself out did a show at meltdown then sent your mom an email did she still think he was in the rehab yeah 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 but like again like here's the thing like again like you were saying you were saying that like you were like stupid (laughs) for not seeing Mm -hmm. the signs but I do also want to say that people who are using drugs, their main priority is to use drugs. And so they mm-hmm. are not going to let you see that they're using drugs. If you mm-hmm. see that they're using drugs, they don't get to use drugs anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I just think, I don't think it's helpful um, to, to like blame yourself for like missing the signs because like mm-hmm. the person that you're with, if they are using, are they are going to lie to you. They are going to manipulate you. They are going like, they, and it's not because they're shitty. It's because they need to use drugs. So like, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't think it's a helpful exercise. Um, yeah. Now, I, I do think that like if you suspect that somebody is using drugs, um, it's worth a conversation. Although, like, again, they're probably yeah, going to say. What is the proper way to go about that? Like what? I, so I think um, we did a show about this. I think it's episode five. We talked to like this guy, Robert Kraft, who has this whole like compassionate approach to intervention it's called the craft method and Mm -hmm. um it's basically like put your own gas mask on first um Mm -hmm. or oxygen gas mask oxygen mask on first um Mm -hmm. and like deal with what you need to deal with and don't tether your well-being to somebody else's ability to get sober Mm -hmm. because when you love somebody who's like using drugs it's a horrible place to be you feel mm-hmm. like garbage you feel like shit you feel like I, I I they won't they don't they don't love me enough to not use and the thing is it is not about you at all at mm-hmm. all it has nothing to do with you like th- that is that is just like a um that's like putting you know gonna not try to do a metaphor here but it's ju- it's ju- it's just you know like it's tempting to be like mm-hmm. they don't love me enough to not use but like if you if you do view addiction in a disease framework which i encourage you to do mm-hmm. it is not somebody does not love you or not love you because they get cancer right like yeah i mean like it's not like oh my god but i love you like how could you get cancer like because you're yeah. a fucking human being and human beings mm-hmm. are prone to disease like mm-hmm. we're living organisms and our bodies don't work sometimes and, you know, I, I just I, I just firmly believe that. I think if I had it to do over again, I've, I say this on the show and I will say it here. 
I would encourage my brother to be on medication-assisted treatment for the rest mm-hmm. of his life. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds totally crazy, but you know what? If I, that oh, kept I, don't, him, I don't think it sounds crazy. I mean, if it keeps him alive, like, cool. Take the thyroid medicine. Take your insulin. Take whatever mm-hmm. you need to take to sustain you. And and I also think that like it was so interesting to hear that Garth guy on your podcast. He's clearly very successful and medicated. Harris probably would have been still very successful and medicated. There's uh, college professors that had it's not. And I I think it's I honestly think that uh, another part of harm reduction that I think would be important. And it probably is why people use alone is reducing the shame about it. Yes. The shame about it is what makes people hide it from other people and that's what makes them often overdose alone because they're too afraid of... I mean, I have a friend whose brother also died a couple years ago of a heroin overdose and she's afraid to tell people sort of about it because people view death from drugs as a different hierarchy, as a death from a cancer or something. Like, it's, it's a different ranking. It's more shameful. Like... And it shouldn't be that way. No. I mean, I, like, no, it shouldn't. I, 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 I get why it is, but like we, we need to like make some progress here. You know, like it, like mm-hmm. it, this has to shift because it, mm-hmm. like when you have over a hundred thousand people dying a year because of drugs, you know, like 72,000 people, I say this in the first show of the, of the, of the podcast, 72,000 people died of opioid overdoses in 2017. That is the size of an NFL stadium. Like, so an NFL stadium of people, and all of those people have people who love them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if each of those people have, like, 10 people, you know, and then all of those 10 people have 10 people, like, this is affecting everybody. So, like, Mm -hmm. I get very soapboxy about it now, but, like, I, I, I do believe that, like, the tide is turning a little bit, and I think that people... I hope, like I, I see it in people's obituaries now that it, that's less, like there's less shame around sharing what the cause of death mm-hmm. was. Um, but if you're struggling or somebody you love is struggling, like don't suffer silently. That That is what kills people, you know? Like mm-hmm. that is the thing about addiction, like you just said, that causes people to use alone. And the reason mm-hmm. that the biggest harm reduction principle is don't use alone is because if you overdose, somebody needs to call the police. Like somebody Mm -hmm. needs to call an ambulance. Mm -hmm. And if you have overdosed, you can't do that. So like, I I, I just feel like if, if, if you walk away with like one thing from this, Mm -hmm. it's like, just don't use drugs alone. Like just don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's very complicated. And I think you're right. Like don't use drugs alone and be compassionate and sympathetic to people as if you would any other disease. Yep. Because yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I want to you to quickly talk about season two of your podcast and then I will let you go about your day. Mm. Um, I thought I think season two is going to be super important right now um, with what's going on and also people struggling with addiction too during this time. It's very scary if you can't go to a, your meeting that you, yeah, you know, normally do. But so your season two is about go ahead. OK, so I'll tell you about season two and then I want to tell you about another thing, too. So season two last day is from the beginning we decided it was going to be about things that are killing us like the, mm-hmm. the epidemics that are less sort of hard to pin down um and so we talked a lot about like what do we want to talk about and what do we want to do and we wound up with suicide and I am terrified to be perfectly honest with you um 
I feel like I hear about this now more than anything. And I feel Mm -hmm. like especially now that we're coming out of this very solitary time and people are losing their jobs and people are, you know, stuck with families and perhaps families that are dysfunctional. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just really afraid of, of, mm-hmm. of what this is going to mean for people and their mental health. And um, so that is what's going to be uh, season two. Season two is about, is about suicide and we're going to start season two in the fall. And um, if you have stories that you want to share, um, we would love to hear them. So you can email us uh, at hey at lemonadamedia.com and lemonada is L-E-M-O-N-A-D-A media.com. Um, you can like do a voice memo if you want and send it or just send us an email. Um, and the other thing that I'm really excited about is that we have a new show coming out in May called In Recovery. And I don't know like how many episodes you heard, but if you heard um, Dr. Nzinga Harrison, who was on episodes five and six, mm-hmm. she's incredible. She's like the most like she's like made of magic, I think. Um, wow. and she I'm is, I'm sad I missed that one. I'll listen to it. Listen to it after no, this. she's incredible. Yeah. And she's like, she's all about like science and, and using it, like looking at it from a disease framework. And so she's going to be hosting a spinoff show we're doing called in recovery. Um, and it's going to be like a, a, like an old fashioned kind of Q and a chat show. Uh, but you can email your questions. You can tweet them. You can send a voicemail. Um, to in recovery at lemonadamedia.com and it's going to be like about all addictions so drugs alcohol sex gambling work relationships chaos all of it um, mm-hmm. so and, and the reason we we launched that show is because like we were getting to the end of season one and I felt like this deep guilt for leaving our audience in a lurch you know like we we have this mm-hmm. amazing community now who who really have come to depend on the show um, and I just felt like we're not done. So last day season one is done, but we're going to continue talking about all things addiction uh, on in recovery. So that's very exciting. That's exciting. And I think that the, the mental health and suicide one is super important right now. And I, you guys do a beautiful storytelling job and editing job. I mean, yeah, I'm excited for that. Thank you. I I, yeah. I really appreciate like you said. It's like people are like, oh God, I don't I don't want to listen to a show about that. But like we really do work hard to make it entertaining and to make it palatable and funny and like the music is beautiful and like you know my my favorite podcast obviously of all time like everyone's is This American Life. You know like that's like the 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 pinnacle of all the great shows and um, you know I. I really like those kind of narrative style podcasts. And so we weave mm-hmm. a lot of narrative storytelling into, into the show. And um, yeah. And you do a good job of making it light and funny when it, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it of course, sometimes it's very sad and I've cried many times, but there's many times I've laughed and many times I've been like, hell, this is life. And yeah. they're yeah. just working through it. I mean, people get real mad at me because I say fuck a lot. Like, uh, like, like people get Whatever. so mad. I'm like, do y'all know that you're listening to a podcast about heroin? Like, it, like, yeah. is that truly the most offensive part about this? Yeah, fu- fuck is the least of your problems. I mean, truly. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Okay. <laughs> I feel the same way. Um, anyway. Oh my gosh. But you're. Well, tell everyone yeah. where they can find you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, what no. I was going to say, like, it's so nice of you to, like, take an interest in this. I mean, I, I just feel like this is what it's going to take to change the tide, you know? Like, so. Yeah. I'm just grateful that you listen to the show and that you care about this issue. And, 
um, you know, it's just, it's very, very cool. Very, very lovely. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, I was forced to care because I made a lot of friends in the, yeah. where I yeah. went. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that you have a new community of people I've, as a slight positive note that you didn't really maybe at all need, uh, but that you have a new sort of, I don't know, community of people that you relate to now and a better understanding of people and what they go through? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like this is, I kind of found this when I wrote my book and, and I, like all these people would like DM me, you know, like just like their deepest, darkest secrets, you know? And I, and like, I was like, oh, nobody has a space to talk about shit that is really hurting them, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like we, we don't do this. <laughs> like we, we talk about how we appreciate mental health and, and all of that, but like, I don't know, like there was just like this, thank God that somebody said what I was thinking. And um, I think with last day, it's been like even more intense. Like I've heard from so many siblings who have lost their brothers and sisters and parents and, you know, people who are actively using drugs and people who are sober and people who have never used drugs. Like it's, it's like a very, um, it's been a very intense project. And like, and like when, when people email me, like it's always like paragraphs of like, let me tell you my story. And that's like, mm-hmm amazing you know like Mm -hmm. I I do not I do not take that for granted even though it takes me a long time to reply because there are monsters in my house like who who (laughs) like are just the worst (laughs) like I'm talking about my children um and my animals but like I every time I get one it just truly like and I'm not a kumbaya kind of a person I say on the podcast I'm very glass half empty and I'm very cynical and negative but it really does like make my heart feel very full to get those messages. Well, that makes me happy. That makes me happy. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Sorry yeah. it probably ran longer than you no, were No, it's but... totally my pleasure. I love being away from my kids. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I'll, I'll talk to you soon.